you know that when you turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Savior, did you know that you get adopted into the family of God? Did you know that? Now, this is the pretty cool thing. Y'all take a look at the people behind you. Look around. All these people are a part of the family of God. Did you know that? The Bible says they're your brothers and sisters in Christ. So they're spiritual brothers and sisters. Now, the amazing thing is, when we come together on Sunday mornings like this, this is like a big family reunion, right? All your brothers and sisters in Christ are all here, and we're all here to do the same thing. What is the thing we're here to do on Sunday mornings? What are we doing? Amalyn? We're praising the Lord. That's right. Praising the Lord. Yes, that's right. Did you want to say one, Oliver? Did she take yours? Praising the Lord. Worshiping. Worshiping God. Yeah, they're kind of the same, but a great, another great way to say it. That's exactly what we're doing here. So why do you think, this is the question I'm going to talk to all the adults about today, and you guys, right? So why do you think we should go to church? Oliver. To sing songs, that's true. Yes? To play. That's right. The answer is the same thing you guys just said. We should be a church because we're supposed to praise the Lord, right? And this is what God wants. God wants all of his children, all these people in here, he wants all of us to get together and have this big family reunion once a week at least to give him honor and to praise him and to be encouraged and to spend time together. It's like a big family reunion. Now, you don't want to know what the word of the day today is? Nobody wants to know? Amline, you want? Every, okay. It's going to be one I'm going to say it a lot, so you got to be ready. It's church, all right? The word of the day is church. Go sit down. Thank you for coming up here. We're going to have a great morning of worship here, all right? So I want to tell you about this sweet, sweet woman named Sue. Sue woke up on Sunday morning just like she did every other Sunday morning, got on her best dress, get ready to go to church. Sue taught Sunday school, and she was ready to get up and go in and praise the Lord, right? She was excited to go to church that Sunday, right? So Sue got up, and she noticed after she got ready and got the coffee made and and got breakfast going that Bill was still in bed. So she thought, I wonder why Bill hasn't gotten up yet. I wonder maybe Bill isn't feeling well. So she goes upstairs, and she goes up to meet with Bill and say, Hey, Bill, lazy bones, what are you still doing in bed? He goes, I don't really feel like getting up today. And she goes, well, today's Sunday. we got to get up and go to church. He goes, yeah, I don't really want to go to church today. And she looks at him like, Bill, why, why, why don't you want to go to church? And, and, and she said, well... Bill said to to Sue, like, you know, Deacon Bob, he's been giving me sideways looks for six months. And I really just, I can't go in today and deal with Deacon Bob. And she said, okay. And then they said, you know, that that lady, what was her name? Sherry. Sherry serves the coffee in the front. She always gives me a hard time about what I have on. And, you know, just the congregation, man, they're just like as mean as rattlesnakes. And I'm just not going to go to church today. I'm just not going to go. And, and Sue looked at Bill and said, well, Bill, 
you have to go to church today. And he looked over at her and he said, why? Why do I have to go to church? And she said, well, you're the pastor. Who's going to preach if you don't go? <laughs> Many of you have probably woken up like Bill on a Sunday morning and asked that question, right? Why should I go to church today? And today is a special Sunday. It's back to school, back to church. We've got people here from our schools, Sunbeam. We've got homeschool moms and dads and all kinds of folks here. And today is the day where we celebrate all the kids going back to, back to school. But we call it back to school, back to church, because it's a time for us to reconnect not only with our friends at school, reconnect at work after our vacations over the summer. It's also time for us to reconnect with God and with his church. And so I thought, what better way to reconnect than to actually answer this question? Why should I go to church? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Here's the answer. You know, in case you can't stay for the whole service, you just want to be here for five minutes. Here's the answer that we're going to find in, in Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 19 to 25. You belong here because of your identity in Christ. Why should I go to church? First, because you belong here because of your identity in Christ being adopted into the family of God. This is the family of God. So this is where you belong on Sunday morning. My third argument, my second argument has three points to answer the question, why should I go to church? Because three things happen when you go to church. Number one, you draw near to God. Something unique and special happens when the saints gather to worship the Lord. Number two, you are encouraged to hold fast in the faith. There's nothing better than getting together with other believers, other saints, during those times in your life when you're struggling, wondering if it's all worth it, and be reminded that the faith that we have in Jesus is real. And then third, you are a catalyst for others to grow in Christ. The fact of the matter is, we need each other. And when you come to this place on Sunday mornings and worship God with the other family members of God, you're going to find encouragement and excitement and joy in doing that. So let's dig into our text, Hebrews chapter 10, and answer our question. Why should I go to church? It begins in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God... These verses are a summation or a conclusion of the argument our writer makes in defense of Jesus as the one final sacrifice to take away the sins of the world and to reconcile the repentant sinner to God. In order to completely understand what God's word will reveal to us in the following text, we must reflect upon the previous two verses in Hebrews chapter 10 which culminate, which are the culmination of God's commitment to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 17 with me of Hebrews 10. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering 
for sin. Some of you need to hear this today. Through Christ, God has forgiven you. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what kind of mistakes that you made, whether they were 20 years ago, 10 years ago, or 10 minutes ago. Through Christ and a repentant heart, you can be forgiven and reconciled with God. In Christ, you are justified and purified. You're redeemed and you await with joyful expectation the day when you'll be reunited with Jesus at the throne of God in heaven. And now as a result of that great truth, our writer continues in verses 19 and 20 to declare two things that describe our identity in Christ. Number one, found in verse 19, we learn that Jesus was and is the final sacrifice. Specifically, the writer demonstrates how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system and specifically the offering made by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. You see, the early Jewish Christian would have understood what's mentioned here as the holy place to be the holy of holies where only the high priest would go once a year on the Day of Atonement to make a sacrifice for the sins of all of Israel. The presence of God dwelled at the mercy seat, according to Exodus 25-22. And the atonement offering was given, but was unable to permanently forgive sins. And so year after year after year, the high priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies and make that sacrifice on the Day of Atonement for the forgiveness of the sins of the people of Israel. Well, what we learn here, praise God, in verse 19, is that Jesus is the one final sacrifice for the sins of the world. That's why we no longer make sacrifices, because Jesus' blood was shed as an atonement for our sins, one time one final time. Hebrews 9.12 describes Jesus' sacrifice. It says, And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So our, etern- our, our identity in Christ is first, he is the one final sacrifice for our sins. And second, His sacrifice provides us with eternal life with God. Look at verse 20 of Hebrews 10. By a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Through his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus paved a new way, a new road to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him because He's God's appointed final sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament system of worship, which centered around the temple in Jerusalem, there was a veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, from the rest of the people of Israel. 
And the only one to pass through that veil was the high priest. And he only did that on the Day of Atonement. The veil was this barrier between the presence of God and all the people in the temple. When Jesus died on the cross, that thick veil was ripped in half. According to Matthew chapter 27, verse 48, this event signified an important spiritual event that took place at that moment. Jesus, the great high priest, made an offering in the presence of God on our behalf. Jesus, the great high priest, reconciled us with God through his sacrifice on the cross. You see, church, our sins are like that veil. They are a barrier between us and God. But Jesus received God's wrath for our sins. He died on that cross, and he removed that barrier. So that when we repent of our sin and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are forgiven of our sins, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, born again, reconciled with our God, the Father, and adopted into the family of God. So we're no longer identified as a sinner separated from God, but identified as sons and daughters of the King, walking, reconciled with Him, our Father in heaven. And so we have a new identity in Christ through Jesus, sons and daughters of God. When I think of that, there is, of course, no event on this earth that perfectly symbolizes or represents what Jesus did for us because that's spiritual in nature and miraculous, of course. But I was thinking while I was preparing this message about Christian adoption, many of you have adopted uh, children or know someone who's adopted children. What's amazing about that process of adoption is you have a child who's an orphan, a child who has no one taking care of them, no family to call his or her own for various reasons. And then God places it in the hearts of these parents to take that child, that orphan, um, through no good work of their own and, and to, to pick that one and, and through God's leadership of the Holy Spirit to adopt that child into their family. And so that child leaves uh, that status, that identity as, as an orphan, and, and that child takes on the name of those parents. That child takes on the culture of that family. When that family goes to family reunions, that child goes and represents that family. That child belongs to that family. That's exactly what happens when you turn from sin and place your faith in Jesus. You're reconciled with God and adopted into his family. You're no longer identified as a sinner separated from God. You're forgiven and righteous and adopted into the family of God. Why should I go to church? Because this is the family of God. Because this is where you belong. Every week, God calls a family reunion. It's right here. It happens at 11 o'clock. And the family comes together, and we worship, and we study the Word, and we're encouraged. And that's what we do because we belong to this family. 
Now, when you come, maybe you're more pragmatic, and you're like, okay, I understand my identity in God. I understand that this is the family of God, and I should probably be here, right? So, but maybe you're like, so like, what's in it for me? Y'all ever hear that phrase before? Right? It seems a little crass to ask that when you talk about the Lord, but at a very basic level, people probably have that question. Like, when I come to church, what happens to me? Why should I come? And I want to answer that question for you today. Why should I go to church? Because three things happen in your heart when you're here worshiping with other believers. Number one, you draw near to God. Look at verse 22 of Hebrews chapter 10. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We find our identity in Christ, and therefore, as the writer of Hebrews says, let us draw near to God. Now that particular phrase in the Koine Greek is important. It's important for us to think about this. Let me do that by giving you this example. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was at a friend's house with my dog. My dog's name is Hawkeye. He's a black lab. Let me tell you something about black labs, about Labradors. They absolutely love water. Anybody in here have a lab? Nobody? Okay. Okay. You used to have, okay, let me tell you, you guys, if you had a lab, you know this. If there is water, a Labrador retriever will find it, and he will jump in that water. I've seen my dog jump off of like, you know, a seven-foot dock just to get in that water, right? He doesn't care. He loves water. If there's a puddle of mud, Guess what he's going to do? He's going to roll in that. If he could get in our toilet to swim in it, he would. He doesn't care. There was another dog there. In this particular, I don't remember the breed of the dog, but he was not real fond of water. Right? So both dogs are at this pool at the same time. And we go in the gate, and within about five seconds, guess what Hawkeye does? He jumps in. He doesn't even, he doesn't like, like, you know, like slowly and, and kind of quietly like climb in the water. He runs and jumps with all of his legs. If he could smile, he would have a smile on his face like this, and he, he, he's in the water, right? Full in. He doesn't put on the brakes. He doesn't care. He's in the water. The other dog runs up to the pool like this, and he's like this, like this, like puts his nose in there, and I want that. He, he never, I don't think he ever got in the water. What does that have to do with drawing near to God, Right? Here's the tension that we live in as believers, right? We've got two opposing forces drawing us to themselves. We've got the Lord who desires for us to be drawn near to him, and that's what I'm going to talk about in a minute, right? But simultaneously, we have the world. The world is drawing us near itself as well. And by the world, I mean, you know, the, the, the sinful things of this world, our own flesh, uh, influenced by pop culture, all that stuff, that, all the things that are, that are you know, opposite of what God wants in our lives, they're drawing us away from God. Simultaneously, God's drawing us to himself. Well, as folks who find our identity in Jesus, when we come here and we're a part of a church worshiping, we will naturally be drawn to God because this is the place where God's being worshiped on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. 
We need to be like Hawkeye, right? We need to jump in with all four of our arms and legs, and we need to jump in the water. We need to jump in with God. Don't allow the world to draw you away from Him. You can't both serve God and the world at the same time. You have to jump in. you got to be all in with God all at once. He wants us to draw together with him, especially as a a body of believers, right? So yes, you draw near to the Lord when you do your quiet times, when you're at home alone, when you're out on your boat, when you're playing golf, whatever you like to do for fun. All those can be used for God's glory, right? But God specifically desires for us to draw near to him as his family all at once in corporate worship. Listen to his promises to us. James 4, 8 Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a pretty awesome promise. When you draw near to God, what is God going to do? He's going to draw near to you. Let's try again. When you draw near to God, what is God going to do? Right? So listen, that's a promise of God. If we believe that this is the word of God, that means there'll never be a time when I seek to draw near to God when he won't draw near to me. Right? Because God doesn't lie. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me. This is the best part, verse 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We have a God who wants to know us. We have a God who wants us to be near to him. We have a God who wants to draw near to us. He wants us to know him. You know, the writer of Hebrews reminds us three times in this book to draw near to God. Three times he commands us to do that. And when we seek God, when we draw near to him, we can do so, according to this text, with full assurance of faith. We won't be rejected by God because our identity is in Christ. Because of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, we can have assurance of faith. Listen to what it says. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, raise your hand if you're in Christ. Are you a born-again believer? Hallelujah, right? Praise God. Amen. Now, this is about you. Ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Right? You're a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So we can draw near to God, unashamed, with full assurance of faith that our God desires to know us and to walk with us, to provide us peace in all the promises from his word. So I should go to church because in church and in the worship with other believers, I draw near to God. Now second, you hold fast to the faith. Something happens when we gather to worship God collectively as a body to our faith. Let's look at that in verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. To hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering means to be confident in the objective truth of the gospel. The gospel is a set of truths that we learn from the word of God and the testimony of other believers. That all of sin falls short of the glory of God. That God saw us in the midst of our sin loved us, sent his son Jesus to this earth. That Jesus is God, 
that Jesus lived a perfect life, fulfilled the law, that Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross, that while on that cross, Jesus' blood was shed as an atonement for our sins, that he died on the cross, that he was buried in the ground, that on the third day he rose again in fulfillment of Scripture. That every sinner who turns from their sin and places their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be forgiven, reconciled with God, and go to spend eternity in his presence forever. That's, those are the objective truths of the gospel. Now here's the deal. Nothing changes those truths. They are objective truths. They're not subjective. They're not up to anyone's interpretation. They don't change with the times or with the opinions of pop culture. And so we hold fast to those. What does that word hold fast means? What does that mean? That means you can take the objective truths of this gospel out of my cold, dead hands. That means everything in my life is shaped by that truth. That means I do not waver at all. I hold fast to that above all things. Above my beliefs about politics, above my social status, and my way of life. I hold fast to the gospel because the one who made that promise to me is faithful. Why should we cling so closely to the hope of salvation that Jesus provides for us? According to verse 23, because he is faithful. God is righteous and good and perfect and he cannot lie. And so we hold fast to his promises. We hold fast to that gospel when you come to this place and gather, that belief is reinforced. It's made stronger as we worship God collectively as a body of believers. Why should I go to church? Number three and last. Because you are a catalyst to help others grow in Jesus. God works in mysterious ways, right? God wants us to be in church the first two points, to draw near to him and to hold fast in our faith, those are really about us, right? About you as an individual. That's, that's kind of what you're receiving. Now the last and third and final point is because you have something to offer everybody else. Look around. You come here with something to offer the rest of us. Why should I be in church? Because you're a catalyst to my growth in Christ. You're a catalyst to the people around you in their growth in Christ. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have received a wonderful gift from God, haven't we? Isn't our salvation an amazing gift from God? Unearned, unwarranted, undeserved grace from Him. Our gift of salvation should compel us, should push us, should cause our hearts to desire to develop a culture of love and good works, a desire to be together as believers. You know, in John 3.16, we learn that God's love for you and me, the world, was so great that it compelled him to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. In John 15.9, 
we learn that Jesus loves us the way that God loves him, which is like infinitely. And then Jesus goes on in John 15, 12. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another the same way I loved you. So, right, like you have this, this step, right? God loved Jesus in this infinite capacity. Jesus loves us in an infinite capacity, demonstrated by the fact that he was willing to die on a cross for our sins. Now Jesus said, look, you see the, the way and the magnitude that I love you? He said, now I want you to love one another the same way. And then later, in John 13, 35, he says, By this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Our greatest demonstration of faith to this world is the love that we have for one another. The way that believers love believers. When you come to this place and worship with us, you're a catalyst for good works. Good works, as they're used in this context, are tangible expressions of care. Not just ideas, but things we actually do for one another. Sharing a meal, serving others in a time of need, starting a new friendship, listening to someone who's walking through a difficult time. Have any of y'all ever come here and found someone that was just a good ear for you? Just maybe listened for a couple minutes and just brought some peace to your heart? Wasn't that amazing? I've received that. Have any of y'all ever had someone do something nice for you here? Man, isn't that a way to bolster your faith in Christ? That's why you should come. Finally, we should be a catalyst of encouragement. The weekly worship service is an event God uses to encourage, equip, and energize believers. You know, the tendency for people to stop attending church isn't anything new. It's been happening since they wrote the book of Hebrews, at least. Right? Because he said, as is the tendency of some, don't do that. He said, y'all need to be together. You know, what's interesting about this part of the passage is the writer explains that your attendance at church is a benefit for others and not just yourself. So we need each other. And that was God's design. All right, so why should I go to church? You belong here because of your identity in Christ. Because you've been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus on that cross. And now you belong to the family of God. All born-again believers have been adopted into his family, and God designed for all of us to grow together as a family. Why should I go to church? Because when you come here and worship together, you draw near to God. You hold fast your faith, and you're a catalyst for others to grow in Jesus. That's why you should come to church. We're going to have a time of invitation now. For those of you that are unfamiliar with this, in a, in a second, everybody's going to stand up. And we're going to sing a song together. And it's just an opportunity for folks to respond to whatever God's doing in their heart. Maybe as I shared the gospel with you, you, you thought, you know, there, there's not been that time in my life when I placed my faith in Jesus. And I want, I want to find my identity in Christ. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. In a second, we start singing, I want you to just come down here. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray with you and show you that path to Jesus. 
Or maybe you need to join our church. Maybe you see what God's doing here and you want to be a part of what, it is, what he's doing here. You come down. We'll talk about that and talk about the steps of joining. Or maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you just need an ear today. Someone to pray for you and give you some courage, some comfort. So I want to invite everybody to stand now. Have you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, I pray over this time of invitation, this moment of decision, you are a good, good God. I pray that this message has compelled all of us to grow closer to you. I pray that we would use this time in obedience to your spirit to make whatever decision we are called to make. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
kissing, kiss, and my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets when I think about the way that he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves
aware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory. I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Oh, how he loves us so. So we have a couple of announcements. If you guys just have a seat for a minute, we're almost finished. I cannot smell the hamburgers and hot dogs, but I know that they're out there. Snow cones, cotton candy, popcorn. Okay. The kids are like, all right, let's get this. Let's wrap this thing up. Right. So we have a couple of decisions that were made today that I want to bring to your attention, and we're going to do a prayer for our teachers. So I want to bring Miss Linda up here first. You can just stand right there, Miss Linda. It's okay. And we'll just. I can stand. Okay. You want, can you turn around? I know our folks want to see your beautiful face. Miss Linda's come forward today. She, she's come to our church as a direct invitation with Brother Vaughn, Brother Vaughn and his evangelism ministry that he does for Fifth Street. And so Miss Linda is here today. She's a born again believer. She would like to follow through with believers' baptism. So we're going to get her baptized next Sunday. So make sure you're here. Wonderful. You can have a seat there, Miss Linda. And this is Miss Jennifer. Yes. She's also come with direct invite of Brother Vaughn and his, uh, his evangelism work here. She's a born-again believer but wants to come forward as a demonstration of that faith through baptism. So she's going to get baptized with Miss Linda next Sunday. So I'll see you here. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you can have a seat. All right, so... It's back to school, back to church. So one of the things we do as a result of back to school, back to church is we take a time, we dedicate a special time to pray for our teachers, administrators, principals, stay-at-home moms and dads who are doing homeschooling. And so I would love for all of you to come up here with me up to the front, right? So anyone involved in the school system, whether you teach at a, a nursery, our Sunbeam teachers are here, all of you guys, come on up here. Just bring it on. There's tons of you, so you won't be alone up here. Yeah, you can bring your kids. It's fine. Come on up here. Yeah, come on. Wonderful. All right, is that everybody that wants to come up here for prayer? All right. So in Fifth Street, typical Fifth Street fashion, um, as I pray with him, would you guys just... In affirmation, just lift your hands over them right now. Heavenly Father, we just pray over these teachers, directors, administrators. Lord, they have the amazing task of teaching the next generation. It is not an easy ministry. And so we pray, Lord God, for you to give them unspeakable joy. And Lord knows, Lord, they need patience. Give them some patience. Give them discernment and wisdom as they navigate all the places where they teach and lead. And Lord God, I pray that they would be lights for you in these places. That children would see the way they teach, the way they love, the way they live, that they would be drawn to you, God. 
Help us as a church to walk with them as teachers, directors, administrators. Help, help us to be with them through this process so that they have the resources they need to do their work well, to give you honor and glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, let's give them a hand. Thank you, guys. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming up here. We'll be praying for you guys. And then last but not least, as our, our teachers find their, their uh, seats, just one more thing. I want to remind you guys about Fifth Street University. Fifth Street University is our leader development pipeline. This is, this is a way for us to take our Fifth Street folks, and to pour into you the Word of God leading to spiritual transformation to help turn you into the leaders that God has created and designed you to be. So that starts up next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, and then we'll go on all the way through uh, Thanksgiving. So every Sunday night starting next Sunday at 6 o'clock, we have a special leadership development pipeline called Fifth Street University. So there's a place for everybody. I'll be gathered in the front uh, leading a general session. We also, also have special cohorts uh, where folks will go through things like the Call to Follow Christ, which is our introductory course where people learn the very basics of following Jesus. After you finish that, then you move into level one, which is leadership development uh, learning about sharing the gospel, learning about uh, leading small groups, learning about how to walk in a way that gives God glory, all those things. So we really want you to be a part of this, and it's going to start next Sunday night at 6 o'clock p.m. So make sure you're here, and we really want to see you to be a part of Fifth Street University. Everybody, everybody is welcome. All right, that brings us to what the children would say, the most fun part of Sunday morning. How many people want to go in a bounce house? Anybody? Yes. Yes. If there are any adults raise their hand, they get to go for the first hour. No, I'm just kidding. Anybody want any cotton candy? Anybody want any cotton candy? How about popcorn? <laughs>